Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Dr. E. Scott Geller. Hi, are you there? I'm here, Amanda. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks so much for joining today. I'd love to have you start off by giving an introduction and a bio of yourself for our listeners. All right. Well, let me just say a few words, folks. Um, I'm professor of psychology at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia, and this is my 50th year, 50 years at this job. People ask me, what, how can you keep going? When are you going to retire? And, and I must say, I can't retire because there's so much to do. There's so much to do if you understand the science of behavior, the science of experience. We have a lot to do to change the world, to improve our culture. And so that's what keeps me going. I, I might say, too, that I'm, I'm quite frustrated because I've written 40 books, and they go nowhere, however. They, they, they go in students in classes of their academic books, and I've, I've written books for the real world, but they don't go anywhere because without marketing, without podcasts like this, without people like you spreading the word, I mean, it, it means nothing. I mean, profound knowledge is nothing if people don't know it. And so that's where I'm at right now. And, and the rest, for the rest of my days, it, it is about trying to get the word out. And it's also trying to express our science in words that people will understand. Example, we call ourselves behavior analysts. What's a behavior analyst? Is that a psychoanalysis? I mean, behavior analysts, we do more than analyze behavior. We change, we improve behavior. So I'm on this, on this kick about calling it behavioral science. But I'll tell you one more thing. I'm on this kick about calling it humanistic behaviorism. Now, that term turns off a lot of my colleagues in the field of behavior analysis because they think humanism is a bad word because the humanists are not scientists. And I want to say there's a lot of concepts and ideas in the field of humanism that us behaviorists need to connect to. By the way, B.S. Skinner was Humanist of the Year Award in 1972. So he, and, and in the 70s, humanistic behaviorism was a popular term. I mean, it was used quite a lot, but all of a sudden it, it fell away, and I want to bring it back because there are select principles in humanism that I think the behaviorist, the behavioral scientist needs to connect to. Example, empathy. Empathy. You know, the golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated. But being empathic, the platinum rule is to treat others the way they want to be treated. And that's different. And one more concept that, that I really appreciate in the field of humanism is Maslow's hierarchy of needs because the top of that hierarchy is not what many people say. If I ask a group of people when I give keynote addresses, what's at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? They say self-actualization, but that's not true. That's not true. When Maslow passed away, his last book, 1971, was called The Farthest Reaches of Human Nature, and he said the top of the ladder is not about self. If you think about it, that ladder, you satisfy our physiological needs and then our social needs, our safety needs, then it's self-esteem, then it's self-actualization, but the top is self-transcendence. 
going beyond yourself for somebody else. And that's what behavioral scientists, the term that people who use, behavior analysts, that's what you do. You help others. And we call it, by the way, actively caring. Let me say one more thing about that. Active behavior, caring humanism. So actively caring, I'm saying the academic word is humanistic behaviorism. Wow. I think that there's a lot for us to dissect there, but overall what I'm hearing you say is we're selling ourselves short. Um, there tends yes. to be a, a lot of information that we have, and you've identified some issues not just with our language but with how we disseminate that information, and language is a big part of marketing. You also mentioned 40 books, 40 books, and trying to get them in the hand of the everyday person. Um, how do you feel this? language helps you do that? Well, to get the word out. I mean, like I, I started something in 1979 called behavior-based safety, and it was using behavior analysis or behavioral science to improve safety. But guess what? The consultants took it over, and the consultants made millions, literally millions, selling the basic concept of behavior-based safety, but they got it wrong. They didn't do the full process because they didn't know any better. But my, why I'm saying this, because they're the ones that got the word out. They're the ones that marketed. I started a company, uh, some of my former students, we called, call ourselves Safety Performance Solutions, and, and we did well. We did very well at a certain level. But the other consultants, that big companies, and by the way, it's a worldwide phenomenon, behavior-based safety. Not working as well as it could be if our science of behavior, what we know about behavior and people, were in their programs. But again, there's a, there's a divide between us academics. I'm in this ivory tower, you know. Yeah, my books get in the hands of students, and they, they read them because they're required to read them. But the public, they're reading these other books that are marketed. You know, and in, in fact, I've had companies call me up and want me to pay them major bucks to help them market my books. So, again, and I haven't done that yet, but I'm getting to the point that, you know, I need to find a way to market it. And, again, back to this podcast, that's what you're doing, Amanda. You're, you're putting the science, the applications, the interventions in, in people's hands, and maybe they will read further. Maybe they will say, you know, there's something there. I want to learn more that I find just so compelling and so strong in your passion when you talk is how much you internalize these very principles into your own life. And a lot of that can be found in some of the narratives and the stories in some of the books that you've written. But also when I, when I hear you present and when I see you talk and we have conversations, it's, it's incredible to see somebody who not only preaches it, but practices it. And we'd like to think that we're all doing that. But one of the things that stand out to me is the story of the safety belts and the underage cigarette purchasing, uh, different kinds of things that you did with your own daughters or your own family. Can you yeah. just share one or two of those stories? Well, well, first say, I live the principles. Well, I do, but I must say, I, I am, I, I'm not as, actively caring as I should be. I don't think anyone is. But I have experienced what I want your listeners to experience. When you reach the top of Maslow's hierarchy and you do something on behalf of somebody else, it's reinforcing. 
if we could just get the world to realize, you know what? It feels good when you help someone else. We're we're getting we're into the holiday season right now, and people will say, "Wow, people are giving." And and what if they reflect on that and they say, "You know, it felt good to do that." And that's the top. And you don't have to handle all these other Mother Teresa, Gandhi. They didn't they didn't get all these. They didn't even they didn't have their basic needs satisfied, and they still went out and helped others. So I must say, yeah, I I lived my life kind of trying to explain the principles. I mean, for example, I, I developed this little blue card that I gave to flight attendants whenever I boarded a plane, and it asked the flight attendant, please, at the end of the flight, would you make the following announcement? And then in, in the middle of the card it says, now that you've worn a seatbelt, now I don't like that word seatbelt, that's the word they use, now that you've worn a seatbelt for the safest part of the trip, the flight crew would like to remind you to buckle up when you get off the plane in your ground transportation. And I did that for 17 years. And I sat in my seat and I recorded when they said it, if they said it, how large a crowd was in the plane, what kind of plane. So, so I believe in collecting data on the impact of the intervention. You mentioned, yeah, I sent my, my daughters when one was 16, the other was 14. And, they, and and then one of my graduate one of my undergraduate students she was 18 I wired them for sound and I sent them around to to the stores because cigarettes were being purchased by high school students and and I wanted to see if I could stop that could I make a difference so I sent them around to buy a, a packet of cigarettes I sent them to 20 different stores and I tape recorded the interaction between my daughter and the and the cashier, and by the way, my 16-year-old my was not turned down at all. The 14-year-old, 14, she was turned down only twice, and once because the cashier was her basketball coach. So, I mean, but the point is, and then, but then you don't stop there. By the way, that that went to the newspapers. I called up the newspapers, and I sent them the data, and it, it, it was front page called the Sting in Blacksburg, and it explained that these merchants were selling a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old cigarettes. But then what I did is I sent them back. After that front page article came out, I sent them back to the stores to see if, if it worked. Did call that an intervention. And, and by the way, it did. Not as well as I wanted it to. The 14-year-old got turned down four times and my 16-year-old daughter got turned down twice. But but I must say that, and by the way, both daughters, they lost a lot of friends in high school. They still tease me about that, that you know, it, because maybe we didn't we didn't see it, major results. It was significant, you know, go from zero to, to the number two to getting turned down four times. But um, they lost friends because their parents saw that article and, and really stopped the sale of cigarettes. So, again, I just share that story because we can live our science. And we could, I, I tell my students, there's simple things that we can do out there in the real world to influence behavior. And we know, of course, that we can prompt behavior, we can ask for change, and we can reward. We can, we can give a positive consequence when we see the right behavior. Well, B.F. Skinner said it, selection by consequences, soon certain 
positive self-serving. As he's another one of his quotes is we we're more interested in consequences for ourselves than for others. And so you know that has happens in our society. It seems to me to be more more selfish than it's ever been. That's why actively caring needs needs to spread. If we can teach people that helping others is reinforcing, then Skinner was right. You know, Skinner was right. If we can just, it can be reinforcing to help others. And if we can just spread that around, maybe it'll catch on. We need it. My students now, now we're working on connecting behavioral science with positive psychology. Perhaps some, some of your listeners heard the term positive psychology started by Marty Seligman. And Marty Seligman is about studying positive psychology, studying what makes people happy. And it's interesting that they have determined that you count your blessings, you keep a diary, you, you, you show gratitude. These are all things that increase happiness. So what are we doing? We're taking that concept and we're saying, okay, let's use behavioral science to increase gratitude. Let's see if we can, we can prompt people to show more gratitude. Example. The students on our campus and faculty, they, we have pedestrian crosswalks, and it disturbs me that the students and faculty don't thank those drivers who have stopped for them at the crosswalks. I mean, yes, in fact, we recorded that. We, we got our baseline data with about 5% of the hundreds of, of, of samples that we got. 5% of those pedestrians wave a, a thank you. Now, again, back to positive psychology. It's been shown that when you show gratitude, you're, you feel better. You feel good. Of course, we've all been there. So we put signs out. We said, give a wave, say thank you. And we recorded whether that simple prompt made a difference. And it did. We got it up to 15, 17, 20%. We're, we're, we're um, presenting this information, by the way, at the, at the, at the ABAI conference in, in Washington, D.C. Um, in, in May. But my point is, it is all about how can we use behavioral science to improve behavior. And in this case, it's behavior that influences happiness. I think the world could use a lot more happy. <laughs> oh, <So. laughs> yeah, especially, you know, we have too much backstabbing. We have too much nasty talk. And, and we know as, as behavioral scientists that, that you talk about it and you, you set ex nasty examples, it's going to spread. So you're absolutely right. We need more actively caring. Perhaps I should say just quickly, we have a website, ac4p.org, actively caring for people. And we have wristbands. I've got one on my wrist right now. It says actively caring for people. And every wristband has its own identification number. The number on my current wristband is 7, 781,107. So that's how many wristbands I've been out there, and here's the way it works. You wear the wristband. Somebody gives you the wristband. We have them all over campus, and, and it's traveling worldwide. When you see an act of kindness, you thank them. In this case, you take off your wristband, and you give it to that person to express gratitude, and then, of course, you tell them that the wristband has its own identification number. Go to the website, ac4p, meaning actively caring for people.org, and register that, that act of kindness. In fact, your, your listeners could go to that website right now and see there are thousands of stories on that website about acts of kindness. It's about spreading 
positive gossip. It's about spreading acts of kindness. On my wrist, I also have a blue wristband, and that's used by police officers. So we have written a book, written a book on the, the principles for police officers. And training has occurred in a few communities, not nearly as much as it should. And police officers wear a blue wristband. And they learn, of course, how and why to do the following. When they see a citizen doing an act of kindness, take off that wristband and give it to them as a token of appreciation. It's not a payoff, it's a token of appreciation. And they go to that website. It's called, this is called Actively Caring for People, AC4P Policing. So they have their own website and they record that number. And so we have acts of kindness promoted by police officers. And you know what? Don't we need more of that? We need more information about, out there about what the good things, the positive things that police officers do. And when I ask a crowd of people, raise your hand if a police officer has helped you versus has, not, has done something negative, I get far more people raising their hand for, for good things that police officers have done for them. And, and perhaps you know, my, my partner in the, in, who was a police, police um, officer for 25 years tells me that we're having, we're having trouble people filling the position of police officers. In fact, there's a number of suicides is increased among police officers. Now, behavioral scientists know why. Don't we know why? Because what's a police officer typically do? Looking for negatives, looking for bad. How often does a police officer get a statement of appreciation? We, we avoid police officers. So they're in this position of administering negative consequences. But, of course, this blue wristband that I'm wearing and police officers wear, that puts them in a whole different state, an opportunity to thank people and to receive gratitude in return. I remember the first time I encountered the wristband with you, and I believe it was the 2012. I remember your talk so well because the message I took from it was essentially you know, we're going to get people to save the world once they start caring about each other. We were looking, like, seeking out acts of kindness, you know. We weren't, like, scoring them. But we were like, wow, where's our opportunity to, to thank yeah. someone? It got us really scanning the environment, just eager for opportunities. And then we were like, wait, wait, we need more wristbands, you know. And, of course, <laughs> the wristband isn't, isn't the point per se. It's just the tangible representation of that gratitude we actually had walked into a gas station on the way back somewhere on the side of the road and one of us had dropped a stack of money out of our back pocket and this this man he ran up to us and he was like hey 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 is this yours and he kind of sought us out mm. and my my friend who was with me a colleague of mine she takes off her wristband and we were all like yeah absolutely oh. And he was like, oh, no, I mean, I would give you back this money. I'm not doing it for your wristband. I'm not doing it for something in exchange. And she said, absolutely, of course, we understand that. This is just, you know, a gift of my gratitude. Yes, wow. it, it's not a payoff. And by the way, we have stopped bullying in several elementary schools. And this is published research. It's, it's published. But by there are, we have child-sized wristbands. And what happens, this is, I'll tell you one, one program, quickly tell you one program. This was in, in third grade. Before school, the teacher would read these three-by-five cards, 
let me back up. The teacher said, when you see an act of kindness, I want you to record it on a three-by-five card with your name and the name of the person who did the act of kindness and put it in this box, treasure chest. And every morning she chose three of those cards and she read them and then she selected one of those persons. It was strategic. She, one of those persons and she gave that person a wristband and the person who did the act of kindness got a wristband. They were the actively caring heroes of the day, just the day. At the end of the day, they gave the wristband back to the teacher and the next day she read another card and she chose the card to give to read that gets the wristband so that she gets a different student each time because the contingency was when everybody shares an act of kindness and does an act of kindness one just one time then you get to keep the wristband so this this little this little wristband got so so popular and but the point is we 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 gave out surveys we registered we we recorded acts of sharing and bullying went to zero and 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 I might say that that same one of the schools we worked in they had used the the another approach which is a top down punitive approach to stop bullying and it it was still occurring and this we just took the attendance of attention away from the negative and put it on the positive and we re- rewarded these students these these third graders for for doing acts of kindness one of my current students right now is working in another school with three and four year olds i'll say it again three and four year olds teaching them through storytelling acts of kindness so this this is a far reaching concept and we just need to have it happen more often and we need we need marketing we need podcasts we need people talking and sharing to make this happen my daughter my daughter by the way both of my daughters got phd's one daughter is is a professor of of, psych- of of psychology in ohio and my other daughter has started a company called geller ac4p inc and she is promoting this whole concept and she's an ex- excellent speaker and she speaks for on organizations targeting safety in particular but the bottom line is i'm i'm so pleased that we have people taking on this concept and that's what keeps me going realizing that hey i'm not i'm not going to be here too much longer you know i'm i'm close to 80 years old and and i need to know that when i'm gone that other people are going to take this on and make the world a better place 80 years old i had no idea i would have pegged you for 50 but i guess i guess <laughs> no, I've, been, I've, I've been here for 50 years i started as, at, in the psychology department in 1969, and this this is my 50th year. Um, well, I guess thanks. you know. I always I always have to check in with my own age. I think, well, if I'm this age, well, then I guess they they yeah they're probably not five years older than me or ten years older. <laughs> but it's just you're so youthful and vivacious and lively, but also I think you know really a spirit and and realistic about who who else is going to carry on this mission. How do we create those conditions? It seems just by the nature of being your daughter, your children have been able to embody and embrace the science. How do you get other people interested and involved? And when you start when you start to talk about behavioral science or the humanistic approach, where do you begin your conversations with 
somebody at like you know Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> well, I mean, could start with a wristband, or you could start with a thank you, a statement of gratitude. My students here, we have a whole research group, and I'm, I'm hoping that, that some of them are gonna are gonna take it on. I mean, as students, of course they do, and they do when they do research to study acts of kindness and how to increase acts of kindness. I'm hoping that that's getting them involved, so that someday this concept will live with them and they will spread the word in their word. And you have listeners to this podcast that are good, that hopefully will will look up look up that website, Geller AC4P and and AC4P.org, and maybe listen. I have a as you know, I have a TED talk, a TEDx talk on self motivation, and all you have to do is Google my name. TEDx, and you'll hear 15 minutes on some of the basic concepts we've been talking about here today. I don't talk about actively caring, but I talk about behavioral science and how it's connected to, well, it's connected to humanism. I mean, self-motivation is connected to the principles of humanism. What do I mean? I mean, people are more likely to be self-motivated when they have a sense of choice competence and community. I call it the three C's. And re, the researchers, it's, that's a humanistic theory. And, but it works when people feel that they, they have some choice. And, and, of course, behavior scientists know that. People like to think they are involved, that they had something to say with regard to the process. And when they feel competent at doing worthwhile work, when they feel competent, I'm good at this. And how do we make people feel competent? We thank them. We we share gratitude. We give them a now that reward, right? Now that you've done this, I appreciate what you do. And the third word is community um, or interdependency. The end of my TED Talk, I think I say something like, we're all in this together. And those are important words. We are all in this together. And we need to know, we behavior scientists, we know how when we're together, what we all can do together to make the world a better place. You know, I, I bet a bunch of our listeners are thinking that they are kind and compassionate people, or at least most of the time. But they, how do they, how do they go from what they're doing every day? You know, working maybe with uh, in the school, maybe uh, doing direct service. How do they branch out when it's not their graduate project? One thing you said was to show kindness and gratitude. Another thing that you had mentioned was keeping diaries and looking for demonstrations of gratitude and, and kindness out there. Do you have other tips or advice for how people might take a more systematic approach or if they're looking to do some research on this, any advice you would give there? Well, you might just look for behaviors in the community that need to happen more often. Again, like on the airplane story I told you, I, I realized that maybe people will buckle up if they hear an announcement asking them to buckle up. Or um, what, do, what do you see? I'll give you another example. When you go to the grocery store and, the, and the, the bagger says, paper or plastic, you know what you should say? Neither. I brought my own. And so there's a simple behavior, and we've studied this. We've studied ways to how can you get people to bring their own bags. We, we all have reusable bags. We have knapsacks. We have, we have bags in our home. In our one Kroger store in our one community, they purchase 
They give out 100,000 plastic bags every week. Think about that. So those are resources. We have to start paying attention to the simple things that people are doing to destroy our world. And, and, and so if you can think of some behaviors that, that you, want, you want to happen in your community from, from showing gratitude to, to just reaching out and helping people or take your own bag back to that grocery store and thank others who do the same. That's really one, just one simple way. Like I looked around the community and said, you know, the youth should not be purchasing cigarettes. No one should be purchasing cigarettes, actually. So what can we do? What kind of a statement could we make? And so that's what I ask your your listeners to, to do. What what small thing could they do? What do they see in their environment that reflects um, a need to see this good thing happen more often or some negative behavior happens less often. And as behavior scientists, we know we know how to tackle those things. We know that you start with behavior, you add people into thinking differently, and you get them to, to perhaps contribute to what you're going to do. And we also know that positive consequences work far better than negative consequences. But of course, we live in this click it or ticket society. You know, the simple and the fastest way to change behavior is to pass a law and enforce it and that puts people on the negative side of things and we know we know that so we as behavior scientists we know the science about improving behavior in a positive way we need to take those principles beyond our schools beyond our jobs and just look for small things we could do out there in the real world and by the way you can you can purchase those wristbands at that website and you might start a Start a process with the wristbands, or we've written, we've developed thank you cards customized for Virginia Tech. And I've had my students go up to a professor and give them the thank, this thank you card to thank them for the lecture today. And then what I have the students do is fill out a, a survey, just a mood survey, and I have them fill out this mood survey before and after they give out the thank you card. And as you might imagine, and, and yeah, there's some bias there. We, we, we've seen an increase in positive mood after they thank the professor. Now, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to get my students to go up to a professor and give him a thank you card. And by the way, the thank you card has two parts to it. The first part gives, we give to the professor. The second part they fill out after, it's, after they give it to state how they feel, what was the professor's reaction, how do they feel about that. So again, we try to collect data on, on how the process works. But again, we know that gratitude is useful. That's just one simple example. But, but look around. What does the world need? What does your community need? What do we need to see more of? And that's the kind of, of behavior we know how to influence in a positive way. I think that also feels really manageable for myself as probably well for the listeners is it's not about doing things outside of your norm. It's looking in your environment, looking in your community, what needs to change and using the tools that you already have or that many of us have. Um, and, and what better way to, to fully understand the science than to apply it in many different um, areas, right? So whether we're talking about earth and safety, we're talking about airplane yes. and safety, we're talking about health and smoking, 
these are all things that were available to you in your environment that you saw a need for intervening with. Well, I really appreciate having you on the call today and your passion just jumped right through the on the phone on the in the conversation and I mean, we are maybe what 10,000 miles apart from one another. So, I've got to give it to technology, telephone, social media and being able for us to connect like this. And I think that that is a big part of marketing and getting information out there. So, while with the podcast, I try to contribute to having information dispersed, it is really through the guests that, like yourself that have such knowledge to share with others that I also really appreciate. I mean, let me, let me make one final point, okay? Um, don't take what you know for granted. That is, the science of, of experience, the behavioral science that we know, the world doesn't know. Doesn't doesn't know. And the the last lesson in my book on 50 life lessons to enrich your life, the last lesson is the legacy of teaching and learning. Realize that, you know, we need to teach the world. Your listeners need to teach others what we know about improving behavior from a positive way. And then then not only teach them, continue to learn. Let's, Let's continue to learn how we can apply our science um, to improve behavior worldwide. Well, I think right there we should leave that as our message to everyone out there is to continue to take our science to help our ourselves, our communities, others around us, and to do this worldwide and not to take what we know for granted. Before we get off the call today, I just want to make sure that the resources that you wanted to mention, if you wouldn't mind just reviewing that again. Oh, love to. The books, in fact, the parenting book, that's my, my latest one, came out just this year, Actively Caring for Your Child, Applying Principles of Behavioral Science, Actually Humanistic Behaviorism, to, to raise, it, raise, your, raise Our Kids. And by the way, we're all caregivers. My daughters are grown and, and out of the house and all that, but we're still caregivers, you know. We never stop using our humanistic behaviorism to, to be better caregivers for others. And so anyway, those those books and several others are available. And if you got some any questions for me personally, my email address is esgeller, G-E-L-L-E-R, at vt dot edu. Excellent. Thank you for that. And I'll definitely make sure to post these links on Behavior Babe and on the website. And for anybody who's interested in checking that out, you can do so by visiting www.behaviorbabe.com. 